In the morning, when you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. James Harden spoke to the media for the first time yesterday since being traded to the 76ers. Uh, I got a couple of quotes for you. He said, it's a time where I needed to be around guys that I know want to win and know that they are willing to do whatever it takes to win. And the structure here is unbelievable. He was also asked specifically uh, about Kyrie Irving's vaccination status and how that impacted things with the Nets. And he said, very minimal. Honestly, me and Kyrie are really good friends. Whatever he was going through and still going through, that's his personal preference. But he did impact the team because me, Kyrie, and KD on the court and winning covers up a lot of that stuff. It was unfortunate that we played 16 games out of whatever it was, but it is what it is. So at first he takes a shot at him because he says... Whatever it takes to win, meaning getting vaccinated, getting vaccinated, <laughs> you should be playing on a home and road games. And two, he tries to back off it, but then he comes back and, and says it had an impact had on the an team. Impact. So um, I think he took two shots and also said he's a good friend yeah. with him. So I think the key phrase from James Harden yesterday is winning covers up a lot of that stuff. If Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden had played you know more than 16 games together, right? If they had played 50, the majority of this regular season, obviously Kevin Durant's hurt, but if they had played the majority of this regular season together, presumably the Nets would have won a lot of games, right? Right. Presumably the Nets are in first, second place in the East. James Harden's still a Brooklyn net, right? Absolutely. There's no, yeah. there's no desire no. for him no to desire get to trade him. Uh, the Nets aren't trading him. If they're in set, like no. he's still a net. And so, is it 100% on Kyrie Irving? Probably not. Is it 75% on Kyrie Irving? Probably. Probably. Like that's I think that's the biggest factor in why the Brooklyn Nets no longer have the big 3 they assembled what 18 months ago mm-hmm. or something like that. Like I think that's the biggest factor. Kyrie Irving being unavailable to play in the majority yep. of games for the Nets and then uh, because of that not being as good as they should be and Harden saying, "Well, can I get somewhere where, you know, everybody's vaccinated and I know my my best teammate's going to be on the floor with me in game one of the playoffs while we're at home? Did he make a call to Joel? You boosted? <laughs> Are you boosted? <laughs> he, he get, hypothetically, oh. if there's a f- fourth shot you have to get, are you getting that, it? Are you getting it? All right, I'm coming. the fourth one's coming. <laughs> I just, has anyone thought about the fact that James Harden's going to get his arms wrapped up in a defender while Joel Embiid is going to get like slightly like touched by a defender, and he's gonna fl- be flopping while while James oh, Harden's arms will be flailing. They are shooting so many free throws. <laughs> On they are going to win a playoff game without making an actual field goal because they're just gonna shoot 116 <laughs> free throws in the game. Great question, Next thank question. you. The Sixers lost yesterday again. Uh, Harden's not playing until after the All Star break at the earliest. Um, the Celtics beat the Sixers 135 to 87. 48 point loss for the Sixers. Joel Embiid, he only ended up playing 26 minutes because they were down by 48. Only had 19 points on 3 9 shooting. But the Celtics yesterday hit 25 of 45. Yeah. One, threes. Of the, one of those nights, as you say. Good yeah. God. Uh, the Celtics, though, they have now won 9 of 10. They're 
up to sixth place in the East, but they're only three and a half back of first place Miami. One to six in the East, three and a half games separate you, those teams. I'll give I you loved, one, I'll I give love you one other fact. I love Tatum. But do you believe that Jalen Brown and Schroeder and those guys are really capable of winning the East? 538.com. Their projections have the Boston Celtics with the highest percentage chance to win the NBA win Finals. E to go to the NBA Finals. To or win, to win the NBA Finals. Win the NBA Finals. I don't get it. I don't either. I don't quite comprehend it. Look at that team. And a good team. Like I said, I love Tatum, but... I don't get, I cannot believe they're favored to win it all. So the interesting part about the Celtics, and again, one through six, three and a half back, uh, one through six, three and a half games right. separate uh, in the East. I don't believe there's a true, like, number one team in the East, right? I, we asked about, we asked that yesterday, and we both came up with different answers, and none of us actually said Miami, right. who's leading these. None of us said Chicago, who's second. Right. I think it's Milwaukee. Sixers have a good shot, right? Like, Cleveland's got great net rating numbers this year. The Bulls are bad defensively, but are still there. The Heat are solid. I feel like one through six, if you told me right now any one of those six are in the NBA Finals, I don't think it's that right. hard to believe. I mean, maybe the Cavs are the ones I find, Cavs and Bulls are the ones I find the hardest to believe. But, like, if you told me right now the Celtics beat the Cavs in round one, they knock off the Sixers in round two, and they take out the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Sounds unlikely when I say it, but right. it's still, I'm still like, okay, like uh, those teams aren't as dominant as we we've, we've become accustomed to number one and number two seeds in the East. Beat. They're picking one of the finals over teams like Phoenix. Yes, yeah, wow. it's it's very very bizarre. That's and, bizarre. And by the way, the they hate the Cavaliers. Five thirty eight hates the Cavaliers. Uh, less than a point one percent chance to win the championship. Worse than the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> That's a great, great question. Oh, Wyoming, that would be a response there. What? What is this? Wyoming is lost this? to New Mexico, seventy-five, sixty-six. Oh. Wyoming got ranked on Monday, first time this season they've been ranked. First time since two thousand fifteen they've been ranked. First highest ranking since nineteen eighty-eight for the Wyoming Cowboys, and then they lost to New Mexico. Now. New Mexico is better now than when UNLV beat them. New Mexico is actually in the top 150 of Ken Palm and net at the as of right now. So they're not the, you know, 237th best team like they were when UNLV beat them. New Mexico has gotten better. But how the hell does Wyoming, after know. getting ranked, go lose to New Mexico? That was a horrible, horrible loss. I don't think it hurts. Um, I think Lenardi had them yesterday as like a 7 or an 8. So they are safely in the tournament. Uh, it decreases their margin for error. Yeah, yeah. They exactly. lose another yes. game they lose like another that. Game like that, then they're in, they could be in trouble. Like in all seriousness, like, let's say they lose to Air Force at Air Force. I don't know their schedule, but I'm just throwing teams out there. In all honesty, they lose to UNLV. That could be enough. Is that game here, right? Uh, yes, UNLV. Okay. Yes, it is here. All right. If they lose, like they could lose that game if it's here, right? Because all of a sudden you're talking about a resume where Wyoming that that was the thing. Wyoming's non-conference schedule was very right. easy. They did not. They don't have like mark their marquee wins are Mountain West wins, right? Which the Mountain West is pretty good this year, so there's there are technically marquee wins, but like they don't have the top twenty to offset multiple bad losses, right? Like when we start looking at the quad things, 
I'm right. guessing New Mexico on the road is a quad three. Maybe right. that is quad two. UNLV and Thomas and Mac, that'd probably be quad two. So quad that two. might not be a, a terrible loss. But if they get a quad three, quad four loss here down the stretch, major trouble. that might be enough. Like that might genuinely be enough to knock them out because they're not going to have the high quality wins that say, okay, well, yeah, sure. They lost to New Mexico that one time, but they beat a top 20 team two right. or three times. They just, that's not, that's not going to happen because they didn't play hard. They're the only schedule. team that's in the top 20 from the Mountain West. Right. I, think I think Colorado, Colorado State, State was, was in votes. for a while and then they got knocked out and no one's been in since then. Yeah. And they'll be out next week. Yeah. Cause the Mountain West exists with like five teams that are all like, ah, they're like the 25th to 45th best right. teams. So right. it's like, Good, really good shot at the NCAA tournament. But if they, if if for all of them, if they start getting losses to Wyoming or to New Mexico, UNLV, Nevada, like Nevada just beat what was it Utah State? That mm-hmm. was damning for Utah State. That might knock them out. Very exciting in early February. The Mountain West has five teams that might get in, six teams with a shot. Uh, we might get to the that end of the Mountain West tournament. There might only be three. Because, I think there's two or three because enough. I don't think there's enough in. losses. Yeah. to teams like New Mexico, to teams like UNLV, I don't to think teams they get like four Nevada. In. I think that's where we end up here. You think they get four? No, I think we end up with like three teams I think because so too. you know two or three. UNLV knocks off somebody else and that just kills their resume, yes. right? New Mexico beats somebody else and it's just like, well, your resume is kind of done for now. Next question. Novak Djokovic says he is willing to miss Grand Slams rather than get vaccinated. He missed the Australian Open, uh, got deported from the country because he was not vaccinated. He told the BBC he is in against vaccinations, quote, I have never said that. I'm a part of that movement, but personally, he believes or he believes in personal choice. He said that's more important than winning his 21st major trophy. As of right now, the French Open would require him to be vaccinated. Uh, the story on ESPN says France is apparently in the process of loosening restrictions, so that could change by the time the French Open comes around. I'll tell you what I'm most surprised about this story. Novak Djokovic has won 20 major trophies. Mm-hmm. How many sacrifices has he made in his life to be at the top of oh, the yeah. game, top of the tennis world? Yeah. And this is one he's not willing yeah. to make. That is a, like how many times, and I'd be willing to bet he's sacrificed personal choice before in the past. Right, that he's sure. he's sacrificed his own personal choice sure. before in the past to get to the top of it's not easy. You don't just wait. You don't up win and you're twenty the, grand slams. Right, you make a lot of sacrifices, and this is one he's not willing to make to play in grand slams. That is a fascinating approach for an athlete who has had to have made millions of sacrifices to get and to this level. I've never said that I'm part of that movement, but you won't get it. <laughs> so essentially, you're part of the movement. Yeah, even though he says it's a personal choice, you're it's part you're yeah. part of the movement if you're not getting the vaccine. You're part of the anti vaxxers. Yes. He he missed a grand slam. Yeah. There and he are, says he's gonna miss the rest of them. There it. are four important events for his yeah. career every year, and he missed one of them. Well, I'm not a part of that movement. That's not me, guys. Next question. PSG beat Real Madrid 1-0 in the Champions League yesterday, the first game of a two-leg tie. So Real Madrid can come back and still win this and knock PSG out. Uh, But it took until the 94th minute for PSG to score and win that game yesterday, despite outshooting Real Madrid 21-3. A complete beatdown. And they almost got out of there with a draw because Mbappe didn't score. How good was the Mbappe goal? Because Uh, I saw on Twitter... And I didn't see a replay of it, but I saw one after the other after the other tweets uh, oh, saying how incredible the goal was. Uh, had Started with the ball outside the box, split through two defenders, and scored between the goalie's legs. 
Phenomenal. Through the legs? Oh, yeah. Through five the hole? Legs. Yep, five hole on a soccer oh, goal. Oh, wow. That's phenomenal goal. And given I think the, that happens often. No, uh, sometimes when when a goalie is in sort of a one-on-one scenario, they usually try to make themselves as wide as, as, possible, wide as possible, which exactly. leaves their legs open. Right. Other than that, probably doesn't happen uh, too much. But and that, given the circumstance that it's the 94th right. minute of a tie game, it was a game winner in stoppage time. Phenomenal goal, phenomenal. Loved all of it. Tr- terrific. Jared, do you have a favorite for your Champions League bet this year? We are not making one. We're, well, we're not we're not doing the same thing we did last year where Jared gets the field, <laughs> where we get two teams and Jared gets 14. It worked out well for me. Yes, we're not doing that again. Coming up next, UNLV got $10 million to spend on recruits. High voice guy for no reason. Never understood it. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. The gang's back together, Are Ed, Tyler. Critiquing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Whacking that thing around. Uh, yeah, well, it's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's up. happened? Like, the last couple of weeks, you've been, like, randomly critiquing your own voice during yeah. our rejoins. It's just, it's embarrassing. I, mean, it's... I don't know what happened. <laughs> I get excited. <laughs> excited to be here. He's just doing his own self-critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice, apparently. Yeah. The only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around. You're in the press box with Tyler Bischoff and NSMA Nevada Sports Writer of the Year, Ed Graney. Range of emotions for Ed. I was going to say, I, I, when I said I'm happy to be here, I really sounded like an oh, ass to be here. <laughs> All right, first off. I'll be out of PTs on Trop in Maryland tonight for UNLV and Fresno State. Uh, 7.30 start. We'll be out there watching the Running Rebels. Come on by. You can get entered to win a uh, beer for a year from Miller Lite, uh, staycation at the Stratosphere, and we will have a lot of other giveaways as well. Plus, if you go to our website, lvsportsnetwork.com right now, you can get entered to win tickets to the Mountain West Conference Tournament at the Thomas and Mack Center, you're going to win a VIP ticket package. It's worth worth up to $1,500. You'll get reserved seats. Uh, you'll get uh, access to the VIP hospitality suite. Uh, it's a good package, very good package to go to the Mountain West Tournament. And all you have to do is register on our website. We're not making you do anything special. Just register on our website. So go to lvsportsnetwork.com. It'll be in the banner in the middle of the screen, right? <laughs> The first one, there's a NASCAR one. Let the NASCAR one go away, and then the Mountain West Tournament one pops up. <laughs> Click there, Think and you two can get seconds out win. of your day. Yes, and you could win fifteen hundred dollars uh, worth of tickets to the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Now, college football. All right, here's some fun stories with some numbers that probably sound fake to anybody at the UNLV athletic department. Story from the Athletic on college recruiting classes, football, and NIL deals. Recruiting classes this year, apparently, um, raking in roughly $10 million at some Power 5 schools. If you add up all the NIL money that's dispersed to incoming recruits, this is not current players. This is in the incoming recruits, guys that are in high school right now that are signing with uh, SEC school or whatever. $10 million could be how much they got here. And the story in The Athletic actually looked at a group in Tennessee that basically what, what they do is they collect money from Tennessee fans, pool it together, and then they distribute that money as NIL deals for Tennessee student-athletes. 
That way, if you're a Tennessee fan and you, you know, well, I can give you $25 a month, right? You don't have, you don't own your own company and can hand a guy $100,000. You can still help your school out and pay these athletes by giving them 50 bucks a month or whatever it is. Uh, that's what this is And these are under about. the umbrellas of NILs? It's not, yeah. Because anybody can form a group and pay name, image, and likeness deals. We could do it if we wanted to. If we wanted to form a group, the three of us, and just pay college athletes through I'm NIL. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. Anybody can do it, right? Except for technically college coaches. Like, right, your college coach can't join this group and pay them. But just, rent, yeah, any group of fans can form a group. And as long as you go through, you know, the approved channels, yeah, you can give kids money. You can sign them to contracts, sign them to deals, and whatever you want to give but them. But deals for certain products... Yeah, it can be, but you can also just give can them money. Can you just give money? Yeah. If you're yeah, you if you're, sign with Tennessee, I'm Joe fan. Uh, Tyler here's 100 bucks. Pretty much. Wow. I thought I re- I really thought NIL was more I mean, you that's, had to that's promote, the premise there, but you had like, to promote, you had to sign with a, you know, you had to sign with a company, you had to be doing something other right. than walking onto campus to be handed money. That's the premise, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, the the what was his name? Uh the the kid that left uh, high school in Texas a year early to go to Ohio State because he had an NIL deal lined up. His NIL deal had a clause in there that he had to start so many games, right? Or he didn't get the money. Okay. So, like, you can you can pretty much put whatever you want in these contracts, right? The kids don't have to actually do a whole lot. But the big number there, well, A, aside from, hey, uh, get together with a group of your friends of your favorite college and start paying kids, the other big number there is that $10 million was oh. the estimated cost here that or estimated amount that kids were getting in NIL from deals some power for fries. a certain school. And the projection is that it could be higher than $25 million in the next two to three years. And again, this is incoming recruits. This is not... This isn't Bryce this Young, isn't, who got his own yes, million-dollar deal. This is not uh, the best quarterback on the team is right. now getting in a commercial somewhere. This is simply incoming recruits signing NIL deals. $25 million is the projection that a single school, a single school that their recruits could get coming in. How crazy now, not that it already is, to take it up 10, 10 levels, if not 100 levels, SEC recruiting will be against each other. Um, it's legal now, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now they don't even have to hide it. Right. Like now they that's say, sure, sort of we'll the, give you money. That's sort of the assumption here is and surely there's more now that it's legal, but that's kind of the assumption here is they might have already been spending 10. There might have already been 10 million dollars going into the hands of athletes or their parents or friends or uncles or whatever. Like that might have already been happening, but now it's legal and now you can form a group with your friends and come up with money and do it that way. So this is sort of like whenever they legalized marijuana and it put all those poor drug dealers out of business. There's a bag man somewhere in Tuscaloosa who's like, my whole life, all I've done is pay off student athletes. And now now it's legal. And I just like, I don't even know what to do. I don't have skills. Well, now it's a tax write-off, isn't it? Oh, that's fair. <laughs> now, the other uh, money story in college football, the SEC... Uh, right off the heels of a pandemic, uh, still in the middle of a pandemic, the SEC is distributing $54.6 million to each school this year. Off TV. Uh, it's TV, mostly and there, there's TV. a couple of yeah. other uh, things that revenue go in there, streams. but revenue streams, but it's mostly television revenue. The Mountain West signed the new television deal right there with uh, CBS still, but added Fox Sports 1 to it. UNLV will get roughly $3 million 
per season from their new television deal. The SEC just handed out $54.6 million to each school. This goes back to what I've always said. I am shocked, just floored, any time a non-Power 5 can win or challenge for a national championship. In any, I'm saying in anything. Right. Not, not, I mean, they're not going to in major sports. But I, I'm saying, like, any Olympic sport, that they're ever in a position to challenge for a national title it is one of the all-time amazing stories, given the... Right given the haves and have-nots of college athletics. Because even if, let's just say, uh, Ole Miss, they, they took that $54.6 million, and if $50 million of it got put right into the football program, they still have more money than UNLV yes, does. to put into their over. Olympic sports or wh- <laughs> wherever they're going to you know, distribute the money. So it is an unbelievable difference. I mean, that, honestly, $54.6 million to three. To three million. Like, that's insane. That is an insane difference that the Mountain West is from the SEC right now. And there's no real reason to think it's going to get much closer in the future. And so if we go big picture here, how far away do you think we are from a split, at least in the college football world? Basketball and the other sports are still competitive enough. But how far away are we from a split in college football where – the power conferences are playing for a different championship than the group of five. I guess, let me ask you this. Why would they though? I mean, they get all the money anyway. They get all the TV revenue anyway. They need these teams to play these conference games or these non-conference games and to beat the hell out of them. Well, those can still happen. I, but this is, I I, I guess this would be more of a, well, okay. There's two things. There's number one, the power conference is trying to split from the NCAA for football so they can. Okay, from the NCAA, that's one So thing. they can abide by whatever rules well, they can they make up their set, own rules. Right? That's one thing. And presumably, if they do that, they would leave the group of five behind. The other part would be the group of five almost wanting to split and being like, listen, we're not playing the same game as you guys. We're not playing for championships, even though Cincinnati did get to go to the playoffs. But that's the, that's the argument for the group of five is we want to actually be able to win a champ. We, we don't want to just win the Mountain West and hooray, we go to the Los Angeles Bowl right. and play a six and six Pac-12 team, right. right? It's, we want to play for a championship. And even if it's a group of five championship, that's the argument for the group of five. But it feels like it should happen. Like, logically speaking, one's bringing in 54.6, yeah. one's bringing in three. Feels like it should have happened a long time ago. Right. That, that that difference is so drastic that we should have some sort of split because... Listen, UNLV struggles to compete in the Mountain West in football. UNLV's got no shot, and they're technically playing for the same championship as Alabama. Right. Right. And that's just right. absurd to say out loud. It's right. absurd to think out loud that that's the, real, the reality of it. Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. And Rogers is unimpressed with him, but we aren't. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. All right, Jason, let's go. Give us hot takes. Give us your inside info or, or your inside music breakdown of the halftime show. I thought the halftime show was really well done. Honestly, like, I would love to come out and critique this or that. For me personally, for my flavor of ice cream choice, I didn't really need 50 Cent added to it. Like, that that didn't do much for me. Like, I understand why, you know, he's significant, but he didn't belong in the same conversation as the rest of them. And I really thought that Mary J was going to be underutilized instead. They brought extra Mary J in, and there was a little less Eminem than I expected. But honestly, I, I thought it was really brilliant. You know, I, I had this argument uh, when I got to ESPN because uh, I, I made this statement on air one day, and it, it, it caused quite a kerfuffle that, uh, that Bruce Springsteen, to me, is overrated. And 
Uh, I, you know, you can't really say that on the East Coast around a bunch of old white sports writers and not get destroyed <laughs> for it because it's pretty And so I was getting destroyed by everybody. And one of the uh, one of the bosses at ESPN uh, was like, "You don't understand. Springsteen is the voice of a generation." And I said at the at the at that time, I was like, "Yeah, just like people like Dre are a voice of a generation too." Like, and so I think what you finally had at the halftime show was a voice of a different generation getting some representation, and also for a lot of us, the realization. We're getting old because finally it was like, oh, this is your young halftime. No, no, I just like I'm I'm old enough that I'm now the target audience for the halftime show. But I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, and I'll just remind you, your entire audience, that none of the instruments were live. That's just my constant annual reminder that none of the halftime instruments are live. It's all pre-recorded. All the instruments are not live. That's uh, that's something new. Oh yeah. So like everybody freaked out a few years ago when Flea's bass wasn't plugged in, right? And the funny part of that, it was Bruno Mars and Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was at that Super Bowl, and uh, and we all loved it, right? But afterwards, everybody freaking out, like, you know, Flea didn't even bother plugging his bass in, and can't believe the NFL made him fake it. And nobody sat there and thought, wait, you can't really run one fake bass while everything else is live in a way that makes <laughs> sense. Like, that's not happening. And so – what usually happens for a show like the halftime, because if you think about it, you're wheeling that massive stage out. You have a matter of minutes to put that stage together, right? And so, you know, we did, when I was playing with the band Perry, we played American Idol, for example, right after uh, J-Lo had played it. And J-Lo had over 100 tracks she ran during her shows. Like, so she had all of these things that had to be plugged in on top of the computer stuff that goes in her shows at the time. So you think about the amount of instruments that are on that stage. And if every one of them has different microphones, like just wiring the drums alone for a show is something that takes a fairly substantial amount of time. Now, some people will say, we just plug what's called a snake in. It's just there's too many variables. What happens if you get out there and something isn't wired right and suddenly there's no drums for the halftime performance? So when you've got that quick of a turnaround, they usually take those band guys in the studio a day or two before. You go in, you, you record the entire final version of the track, and then they uh, they put stuff on the drums that make them dead, and nothing else is actually uh, automated or, or, or plugged in. So at that point, everything is just fake playing so that people don't have the uncomfortable realization that it's a karaoke track. Uh, I'll tell you what, this is what I was most impressed I'm impressed uh, with being there. And they did, they did pipe in the music for the press box for the first time since I'd been at a Super Bowl. I thought that was interesting. I enjoyed it. But when they do the countdown, the countdown's on the TV in the press box, and there was like five minutes and three seconds left, right? And the field was still entirely filled with the set and 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 everything. I'm like, okay, here we go again. We're on deadline. They're going to screw this up. At zero, I looked up. Everything was gone. It, 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 it was amazing how down to the second this thing is. So the first days that you're out on a big tour, one of the crazy things that you do, and this we we had to do this all the time. Like my my first tour with the Van Perry was us and Luke Bryan and Tim McGraw. And when I say 12 minutes, I mean it. Like, we had 12 minutes to get ourselves completely off stage and out of the way while the next, while Luke Bryan's uh, band was put on. There was 12 minutes total. And so the first, like, three days of that, that, uh, that tour that we were on, it was all hands on deck, and they were, every, everybody spent all day working on a 12-minute transformation, which cases need to go which way, which side do I have to walk to with my keyboards and fiddles so that I'm not in the way of the other guys that are coming on stage? Like, that is choreographed. So when you talk about that five-minute run, they keep talking about the halftime rehearsals that have happened for the last couple of weeks. Like, the music rehearsals, that, the, the, the dance rehearsals, all of that 
that happened in the soundstage. The only reason you need to be on that field is because they run that process, getting on and off the field, so many stinking times to make sure they have it exact. Do you appreciate the ridiculousness that is what would be like the most popular concert tour in the United States being boiled down to like, hey, you have 15 minutes to play on a football field at halftime of a sporting event? Yeah, but the uh, and then the fact that you're doing it for free, like that's the other part too. Like, you know, you're you're you know the NFL is covering some of the costs for you, but not only that, like if you have your band out, like a lot of times if you if the the musicians that are up there that were being paid, you know, they're being paid out of the artist's pocket. So a lot of times artists actually lose money to play shows like that, but you have to do it because then you think about what happened that night. And in a streaming world where we all talk about how many streams it takes for anybody to make a dollar and it's broken. Like, the, there is still this process of, oh, my God, you talk about the downloads that suddenly happen for, you know, everybody involved in that show. That's why you do it. And I go back to the Paul McCartney halftime show, and the day after the Super Bowl, Paul McCartney had five records in the top ten. And, you know, the week before the Super Bowl, back when records were sold, right, like, he didn't have any. So you think about what it does for sales. and, and Like, it's, it's everything for those artists. That's why you fight to be a part of it. That's why for Mickey Guyton, who's somebody that – you know, my, my father-in-law was working with Mickey Guyton a few years ago at Nordstrom, but, like, she's been trying to make it in Nashville for over a decade and just has been hitting a wall after wall after wall. For somebody at that level to get the chance to sing the national anthem, like, that changes the rest of her career and the rest of her life. Like, there's so much power on the music side of just, just having your song in an ad during the Super Bowl can change the entire trajectory of your band. It's, it's a powerful moment for music. What do you think about what the Raiders have done? He's bringing a lot of Patriots with him. I mean, are you okay with this? And did you expect this? How many Patriots yeah. is too many Patriots? How many Patriots is too many Patriots? <laughs> well, if you ask most of us, one until they admit that it was a fumble. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think you've got to look at this with intent. And, and this is, for me, uh, I, I loved everything from the outside looking in about Rich Bisaccia. I, I did. And uh, I wish in a beautiful world that Rich Bisaccia would have had a chance to run it back. I'm the first to admit that. But – if you're going to make change, then you need to do it intentionally. And that means there needs to be a game plan. And that's why I keep saying and have been saying since the day Josh McDaniels got hired that I thought that it was inevitable that Derek Carr would get a contract extension because, to me, you're not risking your second and likely last shot at the job as a head coach by coming in and saying, hey, trust me, we'll figure out the quarterback position. Like, that doesn't make sense. And this year's draft, what, do you, you, what, do you, what does anybody know about who you draft at 22 at the quarterback position? And you have no idea – if you can trade for a quarterback. So everything's being done very intentionally. That's smart. If you're going to make change, then you need to do it with a game plan where everybody's lockstep walking together and everybody knows the exact things that are trying to be accomplished. What you have are a lot of coaches with a ton of experience mixed in with some with some former players that are, that are coaching well now. You have a little bit of a mix of big personalities, small personalities, former players. Like when you start putting all of that together, the, the best thing that I can say is that it feels like it's all being done very intentionally. They know exactly what they're trying to cultivate behind the scenes. If it works, then you know we're going to credit this process. If it doesn't work, we know exactly why it didn't work, and that's this process. But if you're Mark Davis, you can't just go willy-nilly and start hiring a bunch of chefs together and presume that they can run a restaurant. This is hiring a front-of-house guy and a you know, back-of-the-house guy and a chef that all understand the same vision of what they're trying to accomplish. I think it's a really smart process so far. It might not, it might not be sexy or exciting for a lot of people. It's very smart to me.
Uh, I might butcher the stat that you gave us last week, but it was uh, like the last 20 Super Bowls. Nobody has won with the highest paid player at any position. Um, yes. With that in mind, how do you feel about Derek Carr potentially getting a contract extension that would pay him $35 million a year or more, which would not put him at the top, but would put him in the top five of quarterbacks? I think that's where he's got to be. I mean, I, look, look, the, the smartest thing that I've heard about this is, you know, even and, – and Jordan Schultz was on Twitter was reporting a lot about, you know, Carr and a short-term deal, and I've worked with Jordan a bunch. I know Jordan really well. So, you know, I shot him a text, and I was like, how confident are you? And, you know, I, I think, you know, when you start thinking about what you hear in a short-term deal, what I hear out of that is, all right, we're going to let everybody figure out if Derek loves Josh and Josh loves Derek. That's good. <laughs> but also, you give yourself opportunity because, like – and, and I'll say this, you know, I'm going to be covering the draft this year in Vegas, as I, as I do every year for ESPN. And, you know, the one thing that, that has hit me on this class, I've said repeatedly, is the quarterback class is not good. Next year's is spectacular. This year's is all question marks. Now, if, you're, if you tell me that you get Malik Willis and you're going to start him today, I don't think that's a smart move. If you tell me that you're going to get Malik Willis, but over the course of the next couple of years, he's going to work with Josh McDaniels and become a better quarterback. I don't hate that. Like, I don't hate Matt Corral as my guy if you tell me that he doesn't have to play for the next couple of years. So what makes sense here is you pay Derek Carr a handsome sum because he is, when he's surrounded by epic talent, he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. I mean, he's he absolutely, we just saw that you don't have to be Joe Burrow. You can be Matt Stafford, and it's okay to need the rest of a roster that's really good around you. So you pay him a handsome sum of money, and you keep him for the next three years with an option for a fourth. That makes a lot of sense. and. Then if it's a marriage made in heaven, cool. You don't even have to address the quarterback position this year. If it's not, uh, then you can address the quarterback position this year or next year and actually have a succession plan, which is the smartest thing that any team – like right now, how much do the Steelers wish that they hadn't been loyal to Ben and that they had a succession plan? How much do the Saints wish that they'd figured out a succession plan to Drew Brees? Like how much do the Patriots wish they hadn't traded their succession plan? So – this concept of just going from Derek Carr to whoever else is available, man, that's going to end you up with a quarterback that's no good this year. Because I, frankly, I don't think any of the big names are going anywhere. So, you know, you, you look at the guy that you got, figure out how to keep him happy, and then figure out what's next over the course of time and tension. So Matt Corral will be the Raiders' Jordan Love. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. I mean, and by the way, you know, when you when you factor in Jordan Love, this is the under-talked about part of the Jordan Love conversation. Like, if he's not ready to play now, then can we have a little bit of like ownership from Gutekunst and, and Matt LaFleur for drafting somebody in the first round that they hitched their wagon to that three years in isn't ready to play? Like the Packers should be ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers. And I know that sounds absurd, but like that's why they drafted the kid. So like now you you got to have the stones to follow through with what you started. Like you, you already you know the damage was done when you drafted him. You should have gotten that guy ready to play. All right, get out of here, Jason. We need more uh, halftime show hot takes in the future. I'll work on it uh, okay. all day. Prince was still better. Oh, we all know that. There oh, we go. Okay. Ends of the hot take. Jason Fitz from ESPN. Uh, the most thorough breakdown on sports radio of the, <laughs> of the halftime, halftime show. show from Jason Fitz. All right. Coming up next. The Raiders. Listen, we'll get into this. How many Patriots coaches are they actually going to end up hiring? On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, how many I Patriots like assistants is too many? None if they win. Are they going to win, they, though? Well, if they win, get the entire <laughs> staff plus Belichick if they're going to win. That's the weird thing about um, 
Raider Nation and Raider fans, I've seen that um, kind of narrative on Twitter. Too many, too many. Really? Well, if they take you to the playoffs, you'll love every one of them. Uh, GM, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator are all former Patriots um, because they are hiring Mick Lombardi to be the offensive coordinator, which, granted, uh, if McDaniels is calling plays, it's not as important as a position. It's like McVay and Kevin O'Connell, but then again, Kevin O'Connell is now the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, They're also taking the Patriots' offensive line coach. Carmen Brasillo is going to be the new offensive line coach with the Raiders. Um, Here's the interesting part to me. One, you have the idea that Former Patriots assistants have been generally bad as head coaches, right? Head coaches. Yeah, head coaches. Bill O'Brien is probably the most successful former Belichick assistant. Yeah, Yeah, as a head coach. To be a head coach somewhere else. It's not been good. Josh McDaniels already had one foray away from Belichick, and that didn't go very well at all. Um, So that's one area. But the other part that I'm curious how many other teams, when they've hired, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien or Joe Judge or whatever a former Patriots assistant it is, how many have also gotten their general manager from the Patriots, their defensive coordinator from the Patriots, their offensive coordinator from the Patriots, and their offensive line coach and whatever? Like, probably not that many. Like, it feels like it's a probably not that many. It feels like it's a different way to approach hiring a former Patriots coach, especially positions like the GM, right? Where you're bringing like, you know, the the four most important positions, general manager, head coach, defensive coordinator, offense coordinator are all from new England. They were all in new England last year. And that feels like a different approach. And I'm not sure if that makes it more likely to be bad or more likely to be good because it could be more likely to be bad because the you know the general narrative around Bill Belichick's assistants aren't any good is that Bill Belichick is so good at his job right. that these they guys just can't live up to the standard. Right, and that these guys aren't actually that good at their jobs. Right. They're just influenced because Belichick is so good that they look good and then they go out on their own and they're not as good. If that's the case, then this is going to fall apart spectacularly because <laughs> Belichick isn't there to hold it's gonna it It's going to be together. some good shows. <laughs> <laughs> but... If it's, hey, there really is a Patriot way and it does permeate its way through more than just Belichick, that it it makes its way into other people in the organization, conceivably, having a bunch of them together... Could end up being great. Could be very good here. So, it's it's interesting. I don't know. It's just, it's fascinating that everybody they've brought in has been, was in New England last year as a former Patriot ties, right? It's like they, the only one, they, they did not get Joe Judge to come be special teams coordinator. That's I'm like wondering- the only one... I'm wondering if Belichick's like, yeah, you're going to fail anyway because it's just me, so just go ahead. Because they're taking a lot of his guys, so he's probably like, what do I care? You'll be back. <laughs> You'll be back. I'm the only one that matters anyway. The Correct me if I'm wrong, everybody they've taken from the Patriots has gotten a promotion except yes, for the O-line promotion. coach. Yes. The O-line coach yes. is the only one that's keeping the same job. Keeping the same promotion. But yeah, the rest everyone has gotten a promotion. McDaniels promotion, Ziegler promotion, the D coordinator the promotion. The offense coordinator, okay. yeah. So everybody's good. So that's like... You're not. I mean, you are stealing them, but you're not really stealing them. No, from, you're giving them. A, yeah, you're well, making you're them a better job, right. probably more money. So right. it's an easy decision. Yeah, well, they stole the offensive line coach. That's probably the only one. Which, by the way, how much more did they have to pay him? Because the Raiders' offensive line is a mess. Like, <laughs> he's not exactly. It's not like they could have sold him on. 
You've got a great <laughs> offensive line to work with. You this should see this Leatherwood easy. guy. He was so good, we moved him from tackle to guard three games in after taking him in the first round when we never should have. So, like, I am wondering, how much more did they pay Carmen Brasillo? Because you're like, all right, we got a mess over here. you got to come clean this up. Let's get this fixed, please. Uh, because it's not an attractive job. Also, man, they should bring back Trent Brown, shouldn't they? Oh, uh, man. It's like the poor man's flurry coming back. It's a it's a whole new coaching staff here. Yeah. It's not Gruden. Guys that really know Cable. him. That right. really know it's him. Trent Brown uh flourished with the Patriots, then signed a massive offseason contract with highest, the Raiders. Highest right? ever. What he did in New England got him paid. Yes. With the Raiders. Did not go very well here. Didn't happen. But as soon as that was done, as soon as his time was done, where'd he go? Went right back, back to New, New England, England. Yeah. with these coaches. Yes. So that kind of makes sense, right? Like, in all, in all seriousness, if McDaniels and Ziggler had been hired together, any, let's just say Minnesota, if the Vikings had hired Ziggler and McDaniels, and then they went and got offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, offensive line coach, all from New England, Trent Brown, who's a free agent, that'd be a no-brainer to Minnesota, right? You'd be looking around saying, well, of course they're going to bring Trent Brown right. over. He's a free agent, Right. No, the you're o- exactly right. The but, only but reason the is Raiders, he was here. And, and it didn't work out. But everybody's gone except Mark Davis. Does Mark Davis not like him? I, can't I mean, I think Mark, Mark Davis, Davis like is going to like anyone at this point that Ziggler and McDaniels <laughs> brings in. Right? Until they lose and they're like four and eight and he's like, wait a minute, why did you bring these guys? I think he's going to give them, which he probably should. When you hire these guys, you have to give them oh, complete absolutely. freedom. You can't absolutely. be micromanaging right. these guys. Let them do whatever the heck they want. Like, there might be some very extreme situations where Mark Davis is like, no, no, we can't take that guy. It's got to be extreme. It's you be can't extreme. hire these guys right. and tell them what to do. Right. I mean, Richie Incognito will be back, right? Will he? Well, he's on the treadmill at this point. He's We're on the horizon. Sure. Listen, listen. He's on the horizon. Jared, Ed, maybe the best point Ed has made on the radio since I've been doing this show with him was like in week one when he said, I will believe Richie Incognito is coming back <laughs> When I see Richie Incognito back, we're staying with that mindset. Yeah, all right, Until all right. I see him in an act, not a preseason, a regular season game, he does not exist. Greg Robinson is available. Former second overall. Currently awaiting trial. <laughs> How's Rob Ryan going to do with him? They also hired Rob Ryan as a defensive uh, yeah, he didn't assistant. even really get a uh, not a position sure job. title. Yeah, just a defensive just be a assistant. Defense assistant, which is interesting. He uh, listen, they brought him back. He was a failed defensive coordinator with the Raiders. Bring him back. They bring guys. Colleges Tom- do that all the time. You are a special assistant to the offensive people. <laughs> That's they what do, the Raiders they, are doing. They do that all the time. They, find, they do that all the time. It's defensive analyst. Yeah, to give he's guys the, jobs. He's the defensive analyst because they the can't Raiders. hire so many coaches. But Rob Ryan taking the Raiders to the playoffs.